It's a rite of passage. We had to do it in our day. It'll all be over soon. It'll just flow when you're in there. FM 104's Leaving Cert Survival Guide with the Institute of Education. With only the info that you want to hear to help you ace your Leaving Cert. Welcome to episode three of the Leaving Cert Survival Guide. I'm Tara Murray from FM 104's Total Access. And I'm Crossy from the Strawberry Alarm Clock. We've teamed up with the Institute of Education in Dublin and some of Ireland's best health and wellness professionals to give you a crash course in all the useful information you need to make the Leaving Cert exams that bit easier. Every Monday and Wednesday, we'll be speaking to some of Ireland's best teachers who'll be giving us some of their vital tips and tricks that will help you with your exams this June. In our last episode, we looked at Irish Paper 1 and how important food and nutrition can be in creating the best environment for you to thrive in over the next few weeks. Today we'll be looking at history with Susan Cashel from the Institute. Now Tara, history was one of your favourite subjects in school if I'm not mistaken. Oh it was. I was unreal at history. I'm just going to put it out there. I really, really was. I think you're going to need help with Susan Cashel. Probably, yeah. (laughs) What else have we got coming up today? We also spoke to Irish Olympics hopeful Brian Gregan on the importance of balancing your study life with exercise and sport. Were you active in school, Crossy? Absolutely useless. I was like getting out of breath walking up the stairs. Like I was the person that got the sick note all the time. There was a, I had a wonky leg, a wonky arm, a wonky eye, a oh, wonky wait, nose. You were that person who was like, I forgot my, my PE kit. Sorry, I can't do it. Every single time. And <laughs> now I know from experience that was possibly the worst thing I could have ever done. So I'm looking forward to hearing what Brian has to say for people who probably were like me back in the day. So uh, let's speak to Susan now, actually, about what to expect in this year's history exam. Dublin's hit music station, FM 104. Now, Susan Cashel from the Institute of Education is here to speak to us about Leaving Cert history. Susan has been senior history teacher at the Institute of Education for 10 years and an examiner for 30 years. So needless to say, she knows the course from back to front. So, Susan, how exactly would you go about tackling the history course? Well, students say to me, oh, it's such a long course and maybe they've learnt off lots of essays and they're wondering, do I learn a little bit about everything? Do I take chances and only know a few topics? But, you know, they've got to remember the examiner has no sympathy and you get no marks for worrying. So you need technique. It's not enough to just work. You've got to work smart. So one of the most practical things that I tell my students to do is that when they go into the exam, the very first thing that they should do is write down the timing of their questions. So there are 42.5 minutes per question and their exam is on June the 12th. It will last from 2 to 4.50. They start at 2 and the first question should be finished by 2.42. That's your document question. Now, you might, you know, try and get that under um, 40 minutes. Your first essay should be finished at 3.24. Your second one at 4.06. And then, you know, you have about two minutes wriggle room. Now, this includes reading the questions, planning everything. And the, um, you know, one of the things that I would say is bring in a watch because, um, you know, you can't use a phone and there mightn't actually, you know, be a clock. It might be a little bit out of your sight. So every single second is vital in terms of giving yourself enough time. This is the exam where you cross your legs. You don't leave. Um, Time is, you know, of the essence. Don't drink any fizzy drinks. No Red Bull. 
Now, this is, you know, there's very practical consideration here. If you leave, your examiner has to stamp your exam paper. And then when you come back, the same thing. Now, in that time, you could have written a very good conclusion. What are the most important things to know before entering the exam? Firstly, you must know your marking scheme. So there are 500 marks for this paper. You've already dealt with your research study. That was 100 marks. Your documents based question is 100 and your three essays are 100 marks each. Now, you probably start with your documents based question um, for 100 marks. And students always say, how long should I spend on the DBQ or the documents based question? Try and get this under the 40 minutes. There are four sections, what I call the four C's. Comprehension, comparison, criticism and the little mini essay, contextualisation. And what do students lose most marks on? Well, firstly, with the comprehension, what you've got to do is read the four or five comprehension questions. Don't even look at your document. And whatever your answer is, you know, it's your gut reaction. This is a one word or a one sentence answer. No more. If you find yourself at the end of the first page and you're still answering the comprehension, you're in a huge lot of trouble. Now, also, as you're reading through, it'll be very clear, you know, what the document is about. So that's your theme or your central message. Start with this question because you'll then have 20 marks in the bag. Second part is comparison. Make sure you refer to both documents. And the danger question here is which? Because you think that that will mean you'll only answer maybe document A. No, you must refer to document A and document B. If the question asks for examples, you should give two per document. So be careful of plurals. Criticism, this is where you need to know your buzzwords. So words like bias, objective, subjective. What happens if you're asked, is this a biased document? And you don't know what that means. Also for criticism, they could ask you, how useful is this source to a historian or the strengths and weaknesses of each source? So a great way to prepare for the strengths and weaknesses is to divide your page in two and put strengths on one side and weaknesses on the other. Two strengths, two weaknesses. So this is when you're preparing for the exam. Also know the tone of a document. Is it happy? Is it sad? Now, this is where you need to be aware of the language. You need to use adjectives describing words. Does the author use sensational language? Does the author use slang? Is it ironic? Is the author saying one thing and meaning another? Now, this brings us then to the final part of the DBQ, the mini essay, where students make a big mistake here is they overwrite on background. You don't have time, you don't have space. You're aiming for two and a half pages. Now, this will bring us to the essays. The most important thing to know is your topic number, because your history paper, it's like a big newspaper and you get in on the day and you don't know your number. You're going to waste time. You might get very confused. So dictatorship and democracy is number three. Sovereignty and partition is also three. Northern Ireland is five and the United States is six. So no confusion, no wasting valuable time looking at the wrong section. Now, there are three sections in every topic, political, economic and social, religion and cultural. The only thing that is guaranteed is that two sections of those must be examined. 
Now, students often think, oh, there'll definitely be a case study on the paper. Now, there's you know nothing in any instruction saying that that is so. If you want to start your revision with the case studies, make sure you know the history around a case study. For instance, if you're going to look at the Eucharistic Congress, make sure you know education, language, culture. If you want to look at the moon landing from the American course, Make sure you also know military technology, space technology, information technology, even detente and Star Wars. In terms of length, is there a set amount that students should be aiming for? Students always say, how much do I write? Unfortunately, this paper rewards those who write fast and lots. So you're looking at a minimum of four pages preferably five. You get up to a maximum of 60 marks for information and then your examiner has 40 marks, the overall evaluation to play around with. You know, you want to bully your examiner into giving you a good overall evaluation and you've not a hope if you've only written three pages. And would you recommend students trying to learn essays off by heart in advance of the exam? I'd prefer to think of movable information. Information that you can use for many essays. So, for instance, from the dictatorship section, if you were studying Vichy France, you could use that for a direct question on Vichy France. You could use it for collaboration and resistance. You could use it for society in World War Two. And you could use it for the home front. Maybe you'll pick a particular topic like domestic factors in American foreign policy. You might organise your class notes, then you might slim it down. You know, you can make your own notes, but you've got to cover the key areas. The anti-war movement, McCarthyism, race relations. You must know the terms like military industrial complex and you must know who the key personalities are like Joe McCarthy. Now what's smiled on favourably is if you include quotes. So think about maybe five quotes per essay. I always say to students when they're revising start with your favourite topics. Maybe the ones that you got a good grade on in the class test but always think about an answer that can answer more than one question. So if you love the Nuremberg rallies, you must know propaganda, you know, because it's all around that. If you like the Vietnam War, make sure that you know the domestic policies of Lyndon Johnson. If you're a great fan of Michael Collins, now make sure that you know his role in The Rising, that you know his role in Sinn Féin, the War of Independence and the treaty negotiations and then the Civil War. So you will cover all of those topics. If you like the Common Gale topic, that means then you can answer an, any essay on Cosgrave. If you enjoy Fianna Fáil, that means you can answer any question on De Valera. So, you know, questions that can give you such um, good mileage, that's what you're looking for. How do you revise as exam time now approaches? This is where the former questions and the class tests are very useful. So you've picked your topic. Maybe it's the civil rights movement and you know it inside out. You don't want to write out a full answer. So write out your introduction. Bullet point for each paragraph, but make sure you write out the link sentence to the words in the question in every paragraph. So practice changing them to fit the question asked. So if it is civil rights, you need to know the role of the Montgomery bus boycott. 
you need to know the role of Martin Luther King. So obviously then things will change to fit those topics and have your five quotes from the case study or related material and then write out your conclusion. So this way you can get through a huge amount of work. You write out introduction, bullet, links, five quotes and your conclusion. Now, when you get into the actual exam, make sure you pick the question where you can show off. Pick the smart question. Which one is going to give you the most marks? So, for instance, how do you explain the initial success and ultimate failure of Germany in World War Two? Now, that's a great survey question. You can talk about Hitler going into Poland, invading France. You can talk about the technology and then where it all goes horribly wrong. Now, if you're trying to make this choice, look at this. How did Stalin turn Russia into a totalitarian state? How did Stalin use the show trials to consolidate his power? Now, which one is the smart question? Well, the one dealing with Stalin turning Russia into a totalitarian state, because that includes the show trials. It also includes his industrial policies, his terror. You have so much more to write on. If there's what I call a shopping list, write on one or more of the following. You have a better chance of getting the marks if you write on more than one. You don't have to treat both parts equally. But if you do get a question, maybe one on the war in the north and the south of Ireland, well, if you leave out one there, then you have a ceiling of 50 marks for your cumulative mark, your information mark, and you'll also damage your overall evaluation. Now, be very careful you understand what the question wants you to do and make sure you link to the words in the question. Now, there are some danger questions. For instance, to what extent was the 1916 rising a failure? This is not about the causes. You can write about the causes, maybe in one paragraph, up to a maximum of 12 marks. It's not just asking you why the rising was a failure. It is asking you whether it was a failure or not. So you have lovely flexibility if you're asked to what extent. You should maybe start with a good opening. Although the 1916 rising was a complete military failure, it was successful in sowing the seeds for an Irish Republic. Now, another danger one is to what extent was the treaty the cause of the civil war? Students see treaty. And of course, that's one of their case studies, the negotiations. But unless you link that to how it caused the civil war, you're in trouble with that essay. Students often ask, should I make a plan? Now, if you're used to making a plan, yes, go ahead and make a plan. But do remember, you get no marks for a plan. Unless there's something in your plan when, let's say, you ran out of time, the examiner will go back and check. Maybe if you had intended to write another paragraph, you might pick up a few marks there. But, you know, if you have big, extensive plans, you're really using up your valuable time. A lot of people get quite flustered as soon as they open the paper. What is the best way to get started in the exam and sell yourself? The first thing is write out the question and underline the keywords. And immediately you're going to say, 
But I thought I was under pressure of time. But if you underline the key words, you look up and you realise you're staying on target. You're answering the question asked. Don't repeat the exact words of the question. So if the question's on why Hitler was initially successful and ultimately failed in World War Two, if you say, oh, there were many reasons why Hitler was initially successful and ultimately failed, your examiner is holding up the red pen but can't give you any marks. How about if you said there are several contributory factors such as military tactics, army size that assisted Germany in their initial success in World War II. But there are also many reasons such as allied cooperation and greater resources which led to Germany's failure. Now you're going to pick up the marks. You can also tell your examiner what you're going to do. In this essay I will show how Stalin used the show trials not only to eliminate his enemies but also as a propaganda tool. Then you get stuck into your introductory material or your background. Now make sure it's no more than 15 lines. As say if you're at the end of the first page and you're still writing background, the maximum you'll get is 12 marks. Now get stuck into the detail. It's not an English essay, no waffle. So if we're dealing with an essay um, on Stalin using the show trials to consolidate his power, you could start off with a nice definition or term, tell the examiner what the show trial is about. A show trial is a trial staged for political purposes and for propaganda. So you have a lovely little definition and a term. You can continue then, but make sure you stay linked. Say Stalin used them to ensure power for himself and condemn critics of collectivization and industrialization. There you're staying beautifully linked. Now don't have long paragraphs that take up maybe three quarters of a page. Break up the paragraphs and include the link sentences. That's key that you have information and link sentences. Let's say you're dealing with Stalin and the show trials. You might be now on to the second show trial. So you give lots of information. The second show trial was the trial of the 17 and was held in January 1937. Radek, Pyatikov and 15 others were put on trial. They were accused of being members of the anti-Trotskyite centre. 13 were sentenced to death. The rest were sent to labour camps. Wonderful information, well expressed. About four marks. But where's the link? You haven't said why these show trials are significant. You haven't said how did it help Stalin consolidate his power. So let's zoom in and see how we can improve this. Pyatikov was deputy head of industry and he was used as a scapegoat for the failings in industrialization. This meant blame was deflected from Stalin and he enhanced his power. Now we're beautifully linked. Now your mark will go maybe to six or to seven. How important is the conclusion of an essay in the history exam? The conclusion for a history essay is very different to a conclusion for an English essay. Remember, if you just summarise, the maximum amount of marks you can get out of 12 are four. Always add something new to your history conclusion. A quote, a statistic, an author's name. Keep something back. So, for instance, if you're dealing with to what extent was the 1916 rising a failure? Here's a lovely juicy quote you could put in at the end. Colonel Norsemore, who is head of Redmond's volunteers, what did he say about the rebels? A few unknown men shot in a barrack yard had transformed a nation. 
Now, what happens if you're running out of time? Never stay longer than 42.5 minutes per essay. Have a blank page and go to the next question. If there's time, you can go back. As you feel you're running out of time, make bullet points. But I would always write out the conclusion, you know, properly, because that's the last thing that your examiner reads. And before we go, have you any last bits of advice for students listening about the history exam? If I was to pick, you know, the most important um, part of your technique, it's time management. No matter what, you must be ruthless about time management. 42.5 minutes per question. Now, in the lead up to the exam, you can practice this. If you do want to write out an essay and you find, oh, I haven't got everything covered, put little asterisks out into the margin and continue and finish your essay. Because on the day, the adrenaline will be pumping. You will write faster no matter what. So good luck to you all in the exam in June. That was Susan Cashel with some really practical and interesting advice that is sure to help in preparing for history, which is taking place on Wednesday, the 12th of June at 2pm. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. FM 104's Leaving Cert Survival Guide with the Institute of Education. With only the info that you want to hear to help you ace your Leaving Cert. We're joined in studio by Irish international athlete and Olympic hopeful Brian Gregan, who's here to speak about the importance of exercise and correct nutrition, even in the midst of your exam period. Before we start, Brian, can you tell us a little bit about your sporting achievements and what life is like as a professional athlete? Yeah, it's uh, it's great. You know, for me growing up, I've always wanted to be an athlete, whether I was a footballer or to be a sprinter. It's a tough road. You know, it's to go to Olympics is very, very few. There's what, 2,000 people that go to Olympics every four years. Um, I started at a young age, started at five or six, did a whole load of different sports. Wasn't very good at them either. It took me a long time to, to you know, find my right foot. I had two left feet for a long time. And eventually I found athletics through basically trying everything else. And from then, I kind of tribe from cross country right up to, to 400 metres and some of my achievements I suppose I won a European silver medal in 2011 being into European finals part of the Irish 4x4 national record team eight time national champion and targeting the Tokyo Olympic Games coming up next year How do you feel about the Tokyo Games approaching? Good I last year actually broke my ankle so I'm just on the mend back from that but I'm more motivated than ever and excited and really looking forward to going Can you tell us a little bit about the work you've been doing with the Institute over the last year? Yeah, I've been really, really fortunate that um, Yvonne O'Toole brought me into the Institute of Education as their Director of Sports. So first I was brought in to kind of set up a a wellness programme. So we do everything from um, motivational talks, uh, fitness classes, I coach the athletics team, I employ basketball coaches, other kind of developing a, a round package of sports, but also focusing on the mental health as well as the physical health of the students. So it's been really, really good so far. How active were you in school though? And uh, did that have a positive effect on your performance as a student? I think it's it's vital. Like I was, you know, I was that kid like um, when I was younger that I was bouncing off the walls. I had so much energy. So exercise basically took me away and, and 
you know, dampen down that energy that I could actually use down to focus. So without physical activity, I would have struggled. I would have had too much energy. And I kept my, my high-level training. I was training three hours a day, six days a week, coming right up to the, the first exam, my leaving cert. I found that you have to have a balance. Too much study can lead to burnout. Obviously, too much exercise as well can cause that. But I found getting the right balance between study and training really de-stressed me and, and, and helped me focus on my exams. It's well publicised that there's a positive correlation between exercise and performing well in exams or study. But scientifically, do you know why that actually is and why it's good to give your brain this rest as well? Yeah, so with um, with exercise, what happens is you release um, endorphins. So they make you feel good, make you feel better, make you feel more motivated. Um, so that's the first part and the, the, the simplest version of it. So exercise is absolutely vital and it's, it's all down to the, the balance, balancing act if you tip too much towards um, studying too much and, and not having some kind of a balance towards exercise you're going to struggle that little bit more and I remember reading the I think it was the Irish Times last year after the Leaving Cert results came out and the, one of the top results all um, H1s was one of the, the rugby captains so it just shows that you can achieve really highly in sport and also um, in your career as well and, and the exams for someone who isn't particularly sporty or active, what is a good starting point to increase their exercise over the next few weeks? Yeah, so I think everyone should be active. Um, the minimum guidelines for the students in the school, and it's you know it's it's covered um, everywhere in the media, is 60 minutes a day of moderate activity every day of the week. So they need to be doing something. A lot of the students walk to and from school or have a 20 minute either side of it so I make sure that they check their you know with your iPhone every student has a phone now they can check their steps so they need to be doing their 10,000 steps a day so that's a good starting point if you can get up to that and uh, the institute's notorious for having steps so they, they get their steps in absolutely there um, but I think you know stuff it doesn't have to be competitive it can be fun it could be going out for a jog with a friend it could be tag rugby but I think it's important and I think the, the best way you can do it is having like a, a buddy system so someone depends on you and you depend on someone if you're left to do it by yourself um, you mightn't do it you might just you know go back to Netflix and have a little bit more Ben and Jerry's but I think if you have someone there to rely on and someone's relying on you you're definitely going to be more active now, nutrition is obviously a really important part of your lifestyle. What impact would that have for a kid who's maybe 17 or 18 who has exams impending and a lot of emotional stress going on as well? Yeah, that's that's really relevant. At the moment, I'm just doing a talk with the, the fifth and sixth years in the Institute about nutrition and fueling for their exams because there's one thing studying, the other thing is actually fueling for the exams. So I think it's important, again, to have a balance. But foods with, with brain food is fats, good source of fats, so nuts, seeds, fish, good source of meat um, are good coming into exam time. Try and stay away from the, the energy drinks. They're going to bring you up and they're going to bring you down as, as quick as possible in the sugary drinks. Um, good source of, you want your sugar, yeah, you have your fruit. Um, protein are good sources as well. In the morning, having protein, a lot of people don't have it. They have, rely on carbohydrates. So protein, that will kickstart your metabolism, making you feel um, fuller for longer. So avocados um, as well with the source of fat are important. So having a balanced diet is, is absolutely essential to performing well in exams. Can you speak to us about the best way to increase energy levels and how vital can it be for students? Yeah, I would say people would think by exercising you're going to lose energy, but you're actually going to gain back energy because you're you're basically bashing away any of that negative stress or tension that's there. And that's the, the best way to do it is to, to go out for a walk, go for a run, go to the gym and decrease your stress levels. Um, I'd say sleeping is important. 
all the work they're doing studying is going to be memorised, it's going to be basically put together when they sleep. So I'm sure that they're getting at least seven to eight hours. I would like them to be having eight hours at least, but seven to eight hours depending on, on their situation. Some of them travel um, to and from school, it takes a while. Um, so good sleep, um, good eating patterns, make sure they stay active. Even during the exam, just get out for a walk, clear your head. Um, because if you're sitting in a room staring at, a, at an exam paper, that's going to do your head in. And, and, you know, you've got about a month now coming into the exam. So it's plenty of time to study, but you also need to look after your, your mental health and your physical health as well. You mentioned stress there as well. Um, how important of a factor is that going to be over the course of the next few weeks? And what ways are there to alleviate it? Yeah, so um, I'm just back from a, a training camp in Portugal and I walked into the school on Monday and I could almost feel the tension in the school already. I felt it ex- around ex- um, mox time. and it's incredible and the funny thing with stress is it's actually it's a good thing so for you to improve you have to stress the body to be active you have to stress the body to improve to study you need to study a little bit more to to learn more so it can be a good thing but um it's kind of a it's a primary primarily it's a it's a physical response so if you think back to the hunter gatherers and they have a they're coming up against um uh, some kind of an animal they have to fight or they have to flee and if they flee, they're going to release a certain amount of hormones. Adrenaline's going to go through their body. The blood's going to be diverted away from what doesn't need it, the digestive system, towards the muscles. So that's good in that situation. But when that happens around exam time, your heart rate increases, you're sweating, you're panting, and you're, you know, your chest is going to become tight. So I think that that's inappropriate times for that to happen. And the build-up of that stress and that tightness in the shoulders that's getting more and more significant now coming into exam time and I think the students really need to look after themselves. I think physical exercise is the first thing to do but also the second too is social media has had such an impact on stress levels. When I was in school doing my leaving cert or before that I had a Nokia 3310 couldn't bring it to school it was too heavy to carry in (laughs) so you know, I could switch off. I could think about what happened that, during that day. The, the students now, if they have two minutes, they'll take their phone out, check. So even for myself, I'm addicted to my phone, but 10 p.m. at night, airplane mode, and then it, my alarm goes off in the morning, phone back on. Um, so it's important that they try to disconnect for a while, stop worrying about what other people are doing and just focus on themselves at the moment. You spoke a little bit about burnout earlier on. For someone with such an active lifestyle, how do you ensure you have enough time to relax and rehabilitate both mentally and physically? Yeah, so um, athletics is a, a basically, it's, a, it's not just a sport, it's a lifestyle. So it's a 12 months a year and for one month, so we, at the end of the year, we get a one month off where we can go eat what we want, do what we want. So that kind of mentally and physically recharges the batteries. Throughout the year, you go on holidays, you go on training camps, different ways just to stimulate the mind because if you do the same thing over and over again, that's the definition of insanity. So it's important that you do something different, you know, and um, I've had friends that have burnt out coming into the mocks. I've had friends burnt out coming into the leaving cert. In athletics, you can burn out easily. The easiest thing in athletics to do is train. It's the easy thing. You might see us, you know, thrown up on the side of the track or absolutely exhausted, but that's easy. It's the the other 20 hours in the day that you have to think about what you're going to do. You know, am I earning enough money? Am I, you know, happy what I'm doing and so on? So happiness is important. If you're happy studying certain things and you're happy in yourself, that's going to make a huge importance in in the burnout. So I think taking a break, being active and, and looking after yourself is really important. On a final note, many students often stop playing sports and exercising in general once they leave secondary school. Why do you think it's important to be involved in sports, even in early adulthood and after your second level education? 
Yeah, I think, um, first of all, the benefits of physical activity, um, you know, combating any kind of disease. Obesity is a huge burden on our health system at the moment. So if you're not active, and especially if you've got a college, you're probably maybe moving out for the first time, you're not eating as well, so you're likely to put on weight. And that kind of tends to... Um, you know, snowball, you put on more weight, more weight and all of a sudden um, you find yourself in a situation with um, some kind of, you know, you could pick up any kind of diseases down the line by not being active. So I think it's important to be active. Why they're not active is, you know, in school it's handed to you. You're, you're doing the sports team. People are looking for a day off school as well. Um, in college, it's very much go get it for yourself. Um, you know, are you motivated to go to the gym by yourself? Maybe, maybe not. So again, you you know, you need to have a good social group and um, not people are going to be going out drinking all the time. Not saying that you, you shouldn't drink either, but I'm saying that if you could find people that are like-minded like you, that are into some kind of, maybe not high-level sport, but any activity, if you could surround yourself with them and find yourselves going to the gym, playing football, rugby, whatever it is, is, is really important. That was Irish international athlete Brian Gregan speaking to us about the importance of maintaining a healthy and balanced lifestyle, particularly in times of stress. Brian will be back again in a few episodes' time to speak about the importance of setting goals both before and after your exams. Dublin's hit music station, FM 104. And that's all we've time for on today's podcast. Thanks a million for listening in and remember that we'll be back again on Wednesday with more Leaving Cert Insight uh, to make those next few weeks a tiny bit easier for you. If there's anything in particular you'd like covered on the show, whether it's a certain subject or even things like how to get a good sleep or how to study most effectively, get in touch with your idea on WhatsApp 87 104 FM 104's Leaving Cert Survival Guide with the Institute of Education with only the info that you want to hear to help you ace your Leaving Cert.